Welcome to episode 35 of the Local Meta. My name is Fletcher. And I'm John. And I'm not bleeding to death anymore. <laughs> we, had to, we had to stop our first take of the episode because John's nose started bleeding really bad, I guess. I can't see it, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, it was, it was, it was an enjoyable time. Not really. I do have a sound clip of you going, oh my god, there's so much blood, though, which is going to end up somewhere. <laughs> I'm mildly horrified, but at the same time super intrigued by when I will finally hear that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so what you been up to, aside from bleeding all over things? Uh, I played some Standard for the first time since, like, a week after game day yesterday. Oh, man. That was fun. That's like, yeah. How uh, how's how's the standard from? I have not even looked at standard for this format. I'll be honest. I am a terrible human being. I actually think it's in a pretty okay place right now. Well, that's good to hear. Um, like there isn't like any like super oppressive combo. Like a lot of people are still like on the super big you know, ban happy hammer where it's like one of the best decks right now is teamer energy. Um, and just energy variants in general, and everyone's like, oh, energy's so parasitic, it's only good with it itself, and they push the mechanic way too far, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, the best deck in the format right now is a deck that goes one drop, search my library for a land, put it in my hand. Two, on, on turn two, they either play a Manadork or a 2-2 two, two for two. On turn three... They cast a like a three mana three two that draws them a card, and turn four they cast a four mana four three that can give itself hexproof. There is nothing wrong with this format. Like, don't get me wrong, it's really annoying because like um, the the hydra that gives itself hexproof is super obnoxious to like try and deal with, and like they like their entire deck goes towards making that. And the two mana two two good and stuff like that. It just had, it has a very very generic, good, um, late like long term plan, right? Like it's literally a mid range deck that's all in on a mechanic instead of like instead of playing a bunch of like sevens and eights, it's playing a bunch of fives and sixes that happen to make all the other cards in the deck turn into sevens and eights. So it's like a slightly synergistic John. Yeah, it's a synergistic mid-range deck, which and it randomly plays Glorybringer because Glorybringer is just a really good magic card. But like, I actually am not. Oh, that card's stupid. Yeah, I'm not actually super opposed to the deck anymore. It could be because the deck I was playing actually has a freakishly good matchup against it. <laughs> what did you play? I played blue black control. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> um. I have a confession to make. Uh oh. I I was wrong. I, uh -huh. The Scarab God is not overrated. That card is kind <laughs> of unreasonable at times. Really? Yeah. Like, you know my you know my love <laughs> affair with the androgynous creature that is Ashiok. Yes, I do actually. Scarab God. Like you literally made a deck for modern so that you could play that card. <laughs> like. The Scarab God might be, like, more powerful than Ashiok. <laughs> really? So here's the thing, right? The Scarab God is good because, well, one, it's really hard to kill, like a Planeswalker. 
It just doesn't go yeah. away. It taxes your opponent's resources because it's hard to kill, and it can block their stuff really well, like a planeswalker. Mm -hmm. And you gain advantage off of reanimating the stuff of theirs that they no longer have access to because A, it's in their graveyard, or that shock you exile it. Like, it functions, like, a lot of how it functions is very similar to me as Ashiok. Obviously, it costs more mana to do what it does. But it and Dirtles slightly less. Dirtles <laughs> a lot less. It closes the game a hell of a lot faster. But, like, I literally have five creatures in my deck, and I'm completely reliant on reanimating my opponent's creatures with it, and it's glorious. I approve of this. <laughs> like, uh, do you... what's up? Well, I was gonna say, do you think that um uh, that prowess deck we were trying to build would actually like survive at all, or I is it just dead? I still think it has potential. It's probably. I the question is, does it have? Is it just a? Is it just a bad energy deck? Maybe. <laughs> the thing is, it's a lot more tempo than it is mid range. Yeah. And I don't know how that really balances out, right? Mm-hmm. I don't even remember what our old list looked like anymore, but, like, I, I think there could possibly be a home... I mean, like, the guy that I was playing against round four of FNM was playing... He, he was on a blue-red spells list. Okay. And the difference between blue-red spells and what you want to do is very minimal. But he was able it's to win, sick. like, he had taken a loss, he was the guy with the best, best pairings to get paired up against me. But that means mm -hmm. that there's still something there right mm -hmm. so like at least for the purposes of winning fnm i think your deck could do something i mean i, mm -hmm. I don't think you know it's likely to like you know steamroll a random gp this weekend or i don't even know if there's a standard gp this weekend like steamroll some GP or like the pro tour but i oh like, yeah it definitely has a home in fnm and it might even have game if you can build it right, that's, that's yeah, the and that's the key is find like tuning it and stuff, and then playing it right, yeah. which is the hard part for me too. Like the big but. issue for you is you really like you can't tune a deck if you don't get to play it, and you just don't get to play yeah. it, right? I don't, yeah, I don't have the ability to play every F and M, yeah, you know, so it's like I get to I have to, I get to pick and choose my tournaments a lot of times. Yeah, like everything about your deck is entirely theory crafting at this point. And it's really hard to take it beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. But, yeah. I don't know. It's cool, but I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I need to get in, play some standards so that I can uh, qualify for the invitational. That or modern, and I think I probably have a better shot at. I don't know. I don't have a good shot either way, but. I mean, standard showdown every Saturday normally doesn't attract super high. Highly, well, actually, it does attract super highly competitive people. But does that does that IQ? Uh, it can be, yeah, because the, they still ha they still want to have their invitational qualifiers, so they just turn okay. the standard showdown into an invitational qualifier. Oh, okay, so is everyone an invitational qualifier, or just some of them? I don't think everyone. I think some of them are, but I mean, any I any points you get from playing a competitive format gives you points, so that's yeah. all that really matters. Is Legacy a competitive format? I don't think it counts, unfortunately, but it might. Curses. It's super, like, I think at one point it did give you points for it. I don't know if it does anymore. You'd have to ask Mason. I don't remember how it works, but... I'll have to check, but I doubt it. It should, though, because I just want to play Legacy all the time. They should have Legacy as a format. In the Invitational? In, in the Invitational. I agree. 
Not because I, I'm one of the few people who can even play a deck either. I'd be fine if it was proxy. Me too. Just storm uh, like, everyone out. It'd be to great. Total proxies. I don't even care. Every, everyone else could use proxies and I'll use the cards that I own. Like, I don't care. Like, I just want to play Legacy against people. <laughs> I'm pretty sure mathematically you only need like 15 to 25 proxies to make to have any reasonable person be able to play a legacy deck. Yeah, for the most part. So, I think it's doable, but they don't do proxy yeah. turnips anymore. I love how we talked about standard and obviously it ended up with legacy. Well, that's just the natural progression of magic. <laughs> I mean, magic uh, legacy is the true end game, right? In my opinion. Like, you know, you're, you're working through, you get into magic from kitchen table, and you kind of get that little bit of a of a competitive bite in you, right? And you're like, I'm going to go see what gaming stores are like, right? And they're like, oh, just play some standard, because, you know, it's a really good way for, you know, Watsy to make money off you by playing standard. And you're like, all right, sweet. So you start buying a bunch of packs to build your standard deck, and you buy, you buy some singles from your LGS, because, you know, you want to make sure that it stays around. So you know how to keep them in business. And then you're like, alright, this is great, but all my cards cycled out now, and I really like casting my Siege Rhinos. And then someone's like, well, you can still cast Siege Rhino in older formats, right? There's this thing called Modern, where you can play your Siege Rhinos along with strictly better cards in every way, known as Tarmogoyf. <laughs> then you slowly buy into Modern. And then, like, after a while, you're like, man, Tarmogoyf's really great. I kind of wish, you know... I kind of wish I could play with some more broken stuff, though. And I, I remember in my kitchen table days, I got to watch someone cast this card called Brainstorm. That card just seems a little unreasonable. You have that random guy who pipes up like, Yo, dog, I got you. There's this format called Legacy. It's the literal greatest format in all of Magic, and it's ran by the functionality of Brainstorm. All you have to do is drop as much money as it takes to buy a house on, some, on a land base, and you can play anything you want. And you're like, that sounds great, random person I've never talked to before today, because you sit in the corner staring at everyone saying, I'm, I'm talking about back in my day. I'm going to get <laughs> Legacy now. <laughs> so, the, True statement, though. Yeah, did I ever tell you that back when I was in Boy Scouts, I was considered the troop storyteller, because like on campouts, we'd sit around a fire and I'd tell a, a random story every night? Normally it wasn't about random shit like that, but... <laughs> oh, man. I like telling, it's accurate, I like telling stories. <laughs> Tabletop RPGs, right, man? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> so we're going to talk about something today that's related to magic, too, and not just talk about stories about how Legacy is so great, but this will end up in a, as a story about how Legacy is so great. Probably. Um, so back in, like, episode five or something like that, we did an episode on sideboarding. Yeah. So um, we were going to... So we decided, well, we kind of just gave an overview of, of everything relating to sideboarding in, like, you know, 38 minutes or something like that. Back when we could control ourselves when it came to talking for hours on end. <laughs> And then we just went off the rails. Um, <laughs> so um, we decided, well, let's we're just going to kind of break some of these topics up and um, deep dive into some of the things we want to talk about, basically. So um, today we're kind of going to cover sideboarding mistakes or common errors or uh, things to watch out for with sideboarding in general. So 
um, basically things you do wrong. So we're just going to kind of talk about, uh, well, I'm sure we'll hit up a few things from that episode because it was a long-ish time ago. Um, but yeah, one, we forget what we fully talk about and two, a lot of the stuff is just worth covering again if, and sort of at a deeper level. Yeah. So we're going to dig a little deeper. So, um, John, where do we want to go from the, for this? Well, I suppose well, since we're talking about, uh, sideboarding, we can go with one of the most common things done for, uh, linear strategies that people like to do. Um, which is overboarding, Oof. which is, uh, yeah. it's basically the, the term that everyone uses for, like, when you look at your, like, you look at a match, and you're like, alright, game one's over, my opponent has all this stuff, and then you look at your sideboard, and you proceed to lay down 11 cards that you want to bring in, <laughs> and then you try and figure out what you want to cut for it. Yes. Now... We've, we've all been in this position, I'm pretty sure. Here's the entertaining thing, right? In the green-black mid-range deck I was playing in Modern a couple weeks ago, I literally have a nine-card sideboard plan against a control deck. <laughs> but the reason why I have a nine-card sideboard plan is because I'm playing a mid-range deck that has the ability to literally just... I'm minutely changing cards from being sixes to sevens. Like, yep. that's what the goal of a mid-range sideboard is, right? Like, I have very few haymakers. I have a lot of, this is slightly better in this situation. Yeah, in, in like, you know, in a Jund deck, like, all your, your, the power level of your cards is so flat that when they fluctuate due to matchup, it's so easy to just swap another one in because they're all equivalent, basically. Yeah, as to where, like, with something like Affinity... Like, every single card you put in your deck that is not already a card that you run in your main deck is usually diluting the power level of your deck. And this is, like, it's a very common thing, like, where you get paired up against an affinity opponent. And, like, say I'm on Infect and my opponent's on affinity, and I've literally seen this happen, where they boarded in um, spell pierces, they boarded in removal spells, they boarded in gear per aether grid against me, they boarded in spell skites against me. Like, they boarded in, like, a good six, seven cards, and as a result, they had to cut their clock so much that, like, the stuff that I brought, I brought in as affinity against them, like, or as infect against them, um, I'm bringing, I am bringing in stuff like Twisted Image, which can kill their signal pests, and it can kill their ornithopters if I randomly need to kill an ornithopter for some reason, and it can kill their spell skites. Like, the stuff I'm bringing in has alternate utility against them as to where the stuff they're bringing in, like, every spell skite they bring in, every spell pierce they bring in, every thought seize they bring in is actively detracting from their ability to kill me. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're designed to do. They're not designed to drag out a game against you. No. Like, it's almost better for an affinity player to just not board at all and just stick with their game one plan of just trying mm -hmm. to race me. Because in most situations, like, we're about the same speed... Or, like, I used to, you know, we used to be about the same speed. And it's actually really difficult for me to attack through a lot of their stuff because an Ornithopter is pretty good at blocking a creature. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's like, do I really want to waste a pump spell on getting rid of an Ornithopter? Like, probably not, but I've had to. Like, that is a world I live in. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's just random little things like that where it's like it's just better for them to stick with their game one plan i'm not saying like you shouldn't board in that situation but you should limit what you're boarding 
And like yeah. a lot of people just they go way overboard in overboarding. It's, it's so easy to look at a card and be like, well, this card is useful against this one card against my opponent. Uh-huh. And it's not even like a, a super important card. And you look at it and you, and you try to find any utility for that card when you need to be a little tighter than that. You need to really look at it and say, okay, is this dealing with multiple threats or, or a threat that I cannot deal with any other way? Yeah, a very easy concept to kind of like teach yourself to get away from this mentality is to, instead of looking at your sideboard and thinking what you want to bring in, look at your main deck and think, what do you absolutely need to bring out? Yes, like, that's that's what I started doing and that helped a lot. I don't like doing this as a hard and fast rule because I think it, act, it leads to like flawed ways of thinking just like you know looking at your sideboard and thinking i need to bring in all eight of these cards is bad mm-hmm. looking at your main deck and being like well i only have these three cards that are really bad like mm-hmm. it can be just as detrimental against you i mean you have to strategy. stop and look at it yeah like sometimes like yes you only have three bad cards but the cards in your sideboard are still better than cards in your main deck and you just need to figure out that balance but if you honestly think you overboard too much Doing it the for the um, alternate way where you look at your main deck and make cuts before you make additions is a good way of like getting around the overboarding problem and still getting you to think about stuff. I personally I like looking at my deck first because it it helps me figure out how many cards I need to bring in because mm-hmm. I can easily go through and be like this card this, you know these three cards are absolutely dead so they're just solid bricks pull those out and then so then i can go through my sideboard and go okay i have five cards that i think are good to bring in well i know i want to bring in three for sure so i bring the three in the best three that i know i need and then i can look at the other two and judge and say okay are these two cards better than you know random card in my deck do i want to cut down a four of do i want to do you know whatever um but so i like doing it that way kind of i, I kind of do both to some degree but um, yeah, but like, the, uh, yeah. there's nothing wrong with doing it that way either. Like, you know, <laughs> for, like, just as, like, you know, a minor example with um, the blue black control deck that we were talking about a few episodes ago that you released. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. in regards to affinity, you know, like, so you look at Go for the Throat, which is an absolute dead card. You want it out of the deck. Yep. You look at Cryptic Command, which can be a really bad card. You probably don't want to play all three. You look at Counter Squall, which is basically a dead card. Basically. Like, you don't yeah. want that in deck anymore. So right there, you automatically have, you know, f- are three to probably, like, three to eight cards, depending on how many Cryptics you want to cut, that you know for a fact that you don't want in there anymore. And then you have mm-hmm. that to work with for bringing stuff in, instead of just looking at your sideboard and being like, well, I want... Damnations and Urkel's recalls and Yanni's expertise because John put random cards on the sideboard for no reason and languish and just all yeah. yeah it's it's so easy to just start going down that rabbit hole um the one that I find myself um getting punished by the most uh, it, uh is in my burn deck is smash to smithereens you bring it in when you don't know if you should I I bring it in when I don't know if I should which because. Because I'm like, I'm like, my opponent has an artifact. I can kill their dumb whatever with it, and then it deals three damage. And 
I, I've had it. I've had that card rotting in my hand. Like, <laughs> it's just there's a lot of games where I should bring it in, but there's a lot where I should not have too. Yeah, that's the thing that a lot of people like to do, where it's like they're just kind of like they're hedging their bets, which is like kind of leads into another little section of like boarding in improper cards. Where it's like, God damn, I segued really good. I know. <laughs> it's like you're you're like you're hedging your bets, right? You're like, well, my opponent might be bringing this in against me, and that card's really bad for me if they do. So I'm gonna bring it in just in case. And then you're awkwardly sitting there staring at a uh, deflecting palm in your hand while your opponent's beating you down with one ones, and you die. Yep. Yep, and you're sad. Yeah, because that's how magic works. Like, it's like you actually see that happen a lot. Where like, uh, especially on coverage, like you'll watch someone and they'll be playing, and like they're playing a burn deck, and they're staring at their hands, and they're literally shuffling like a land and a deflecting palm around, and they're looking mm -hmm. at their opponent as their opponent's beating them down with a literal two-two, and like their opponent's at like ten and they're at five, and it's like it's too late now. Like, yeah. like, that card, if that card was probably anything you boarded out, it probably would be, you know, good. Because, like, with decks like Burn, like like we said, they're super linear. Every time you yep. cut something from Burn, you are cutting a card that is a Burn spell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, and that's that's the thing, is that you need such a high density of it. Like, even, even to board in cards that are good, that's a cost. Yes. Like... You know, uh, for for my legacy burn deck and everything, like some of the some of the big things that I always would run into is like when I you know even burn, uh, boarding in my like Tormod's crypts or Grafdigger's cage for against you know like dredge <laughs> or the, the the decks that they're great against, you know you're still slowing yourself down, you're still affecting your game plan, and you know like the deck that the deck I have that really gets punished by sideboarding a lot is a ma. Unexpected results. <laughs> yeah, that like as weird as that sounds, but well, yeah, because that deck gets punished by itself. But we figured that out a long time ago. Where it's like all your sideboard cards need to have a certain criteria about them, right? Like yep. almost all of them have to have an ETB effect that's okay to hit off of unexpected. Like you can't mm -hmm. board in any counter spells, and like even even with when it, when it comes to actually like sideboarding in stuff like you have so few available slots that are cuttable because mm -hmm. everything you cut is like you're either reducing your possible hits which is bad you're reducing your ramp which is bad and you can never yeah. cut an unexpected yes you can never cut one like, that, like it's it's impossible like that, the deck is built around that four of and you need to hope to god that you get to cast that four of yep Hopefully only once. Yeah. But, like, yeah, it's... It, it's really... That deck is really interesting to look at for a lot of the a lot of the sideboard strategy just because um, it really makes you think about what cards you're putting in the sideboard. Because, you know, as you said, the cards not only have to do something against uh, the... Or they they not only have to answer the the threat you're bringing them in to deal with, they also have to work with the deck. It's like it'd be like affinity boarding in stony silence to deal with the affinity mirror. Like like that sounds absolutely ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, because it is. 
Like, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. But, like, Unexpected works kind of the same way. You wouldn't board in something that doesn't work with Unexpected Results because it hinders your deck. You know, it's... And you have to really think about how these cards that you're pulling in play with the other cards that you're playing. Like, like as, we, as we've said in other, in other episodes, you're not playing a 60-card deck with a 15-card sideboard. You're playing a 75... Like, your pool is 75 cards, and you have to think about it as a cohesive whole. Yeah, that's actually something that I really... I'm really finicky about um, building affinity sideboards for that exact reason. Because... Mm-hmm. Every, every card in the Affinity sideboard, I think, still needs to play towards what Affinity is trying to do. Like, yep. I'm not a fan of Thoughtseize in the Affinity sideboards. Because the problem with Thoughtseize is you need to cast it at, like... You need to be able to cast it usually early to do what you want to do. And by casting it early, you are slowing down your potential um, development, which slows yourself yep. down, which allows your opponent to top deck stuff after you make them discard. I'm a much bigger mm-hmm. fan of things like Spell Pierce, which, you know, like, yep. usually the stuff you want to counter is happening on turns three or four or five, which by mm-hmm. that time, you have excess mana. You can hold open Spell Pierce to counter the stuff you need to counter. Like, I'm, I'm, if you need removal spells, I, I usually prefer things like um, Dispatch. Which is it like it's a yeah. it it taps a creature, but if you have metalcraft, it exiles that creature like that already. So it it's source of plowshares yeah. for you. <laughs> it's, it's a free source of plowshares. It's stuff like that. Like yeah. I really like gear per aether grid if you need to try and deal with creatures because it plays well with the fact you're already flooding the board with artifacts, and it also gives you some reach to like get over your opponent if you need to. Like mm-hmm. even after you cast the gear per aether grid. Like it still has, and your opponent has no creatures. It still has like you know viability after that fact because you know you're beating your opponent down with your creatures you have left over. You can suddenly tap your Springleaf drums to be pinging your opponent. Like yep. I really like the flexibility of having sideboard cards that actually play to your game versus you know I'm gonna bring in this you know thought seize and try and get my opponent with stuff like that like even spell skite kind of gets a pass in this regard because like one it's an artifact it so kind of plays with what you're doing but at the same time mm-hmm. it has no power and it has no evasion so it's really bad on the attack it's only really good for like protecting stuff so like I'm but not. But it's an artifact. Yeah, it's an artifact. So like it's in this weird little niche where it's like it plays to what you're trying to do, but at the same like at the same time it doesn't because it doesn't attack at all. Yeah. Which is like. But I mean, really sometimes, sometimes there's only one card that does what you need it to do. Yeah. Like I'm not saying you absolutely should never play things that don't play well with it like you know sometimes you literally just need you know a dismember in the yeah. sideboard or you really need a thought seize in the sideboard yeah like it does happen like that metagames can get like that but i i prefer to try and think of ways that kind of play with what you're trying to do especially for the linear decks yeah i mean that's where you like i mean if you're playing if you're playing something like jund as we said like you just get to do whatever you want almost with your sideboard yeah like you know as long as as long as you're upgrading you know swapping a seven up for a seven like you're usually fine yeah like there's just just, that's the one really nice thing about the mid-range decks that i actually like because i can 
take full advantage of my sideboard. Like I said, like I actually sat down across, like me and the guy who was playing at the control deck were sitting and talking, like how should you know my deck sideboard against his deck and vice versa? We just we literally laid out our sideboards. We talked about everything, and they're like, all right, let's play a couple games with this configuration. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a really good way to learn, like being able to do stuff like that. Like I do really appreciate the flexibility of sideboarding, but. By that metric, it's really hard for someone with a flexible sideboard to screw up on sideboarding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're just making your good deck better to some degree, like, because yeah. those decks don't have a ton of dead cards either. No, like, there's very few like truly dead cards in a in a mid range deck because you know, like, their goal is to not have any dead cards. Yeah. Exactly. It's... But I don't know. That's actually yeah, it's. Oops, sorry. Uh, that's actually one like semi flaw with the blue black controllers that we worked on before is like we're kind of forced into playing like some cards that are just mostly dead in certain areas just because you know for cheap efficient removal you're kind of you don't get you know amazing choices everything has a limitation for some reason. Yep. So. And that's, but that's kind of part of the gig with choosing a deck like that to some degree is, is that you diversify your threats and then use the sideboard to hone, to narrow them in and focus them. Yeah. Like, and like, even with that, like there's ways around it. Like if we, if the, if the deck just played red, it can play terminate, which fixes all those problems. Yeah. Like, at, but you know, but then you're screwing up your mana base. Yeah. But then you have a more awkward mana base and stuff like that, which was, you know, the goal was to try and figure out a way to get around that. So. Yeah, God, I would love Price of Progress in Modern. <laughs> I would because I love that card and I love punishing people with greedy mana bases. Uh, so you're saying that you like to try and get them? I I may like to try and get them. You know, so here's the deal, though. <laughs> here's the deal with with Price of Progress in Legacy. It's just flat out good. Yes. Like, like everybody plays it, or you, you play it because everybody's playing dual lands. The people who know what they're doing are going to play around it to some degree. But, like, 90% of the car- time, that card is at least 2 damage. And most of the time, it's 4 damage. Like, like if I'm sitting there goldfishing, I just assume that card is 4 to 6 damage. That's fair. Like... Just because of how the format plays out. But you know what? Sometimes I do just like getting them. <laughs> that would, uh... That, you know, that's kind of another little sin that people like to try and do in sideboarding, though. <laughs> this is, uh... A lot of people have probably heard this rant from me. We we actually, I think, talked about it on the on the first episode, so this will be a, a, another good follow-up. Yeah, this this is just something, like... No matter how many times I talk to people about it or bring it up, I'm pretty sure I can't go a week of magic without seeing someone try and do it again. And that's basically boarding in a card, hoping your opponent doesn't get to play magic. I believe the last time we talked about this, I was bringing up worship as a magic card. Oh yeah, you were going ape on worship. Yeah, I don't... Did did I tell the story about the guy who boarded in worship against my storm deck, and then I just proceeded to deck him? Yes, I believe you did. <laughs> because stuff like that happens when you don't know what your opponent's doing. Like, yep. 
people trying to board in Blood Moon in matchups they shouldn't be boarding in Blood Moon in. People boarding in Lost Legacy trying to limit their opponent's game plan and then dying because they drew multiple Lost Legacies. Yep. Like, this is something I see happen in Standard all the time. Um, when I was playing that Jeskai control list that I built in one game day with, I had an opponent board in Dispossess against me <laughs> to name Torrential Gear Hulk, of which I had mm -hmm. a single one in the entire 75. <laughs> so that did not work out in their favor. No, he saw a single Gear Hulk game one. And he knew I was on a control list, so automatically assumed that I must be playing a full set. So he cast Dispossess. Like, he cast Dispossess, I want to say, on on his turn 5, looked at my hand, saw the Locust God that I was going to cast and resolve the next turn, took the single uh -huh. Gear Hulk out of my deck, and passed the turn into me casting a God. When he had nothing on board. And you're just like, yep, there you go. Like, and now you're going to die, because you decided to board in a card that did nothing instead of trying to play to the board. It's like, you know, like like I said, like you know, he was trying to get me, right? He's like, I'm going to board yeah. in this card, and they won't be able to deal with it, and it's going to be great. It's like, or you'll cast it, and it'll do absolutely nothing, and I won't care. Yeah. I hate it when people try to do that. Like, when they sideboard in, like, Boil or something like that. <laughs> to be fair... <laughs> that was like a legitimately good sideboard strategy because I said so. <laughs> because you said so. <laughs> I'm okay with it because you destroyed all of my volcanic or yeah, all of my volcanic nope, islands or no, my uh, underground seas. Sorry, that's right. I was on the I was on the blue the blue black list. <laughs> See, and that uh, that wasn't necessarily me trying to get you per se, right? Like, obviously, I did get you, and it just completely destroyed you, and you could literally do nothing, and I just steamrolled you. Literally do nothing. <laughs> but, like, the goal of that was more to just kind of, like, I'm already playing a land denial strategy. Yeah. And that's just a way of me, like, playing more towards that, right? Like, I'm taxing your resources mm -hmm. even more than I already am, which is saying something, because the entire, everything about goblins is trying to tax your resources. Like, mm -hmm. I boarded in Boil knowing it would be freakishly good against you if it resolved. That's way different than from someone boarding in Blood Moon against a... And not knowing what's going yeah, on. Boarding in a Blood Moon against a blue-black control deck that literally goes turn one island, turn two fetch island, turn three fetch swamp, turn four get another island. And they're like, I guess I'll cast my Blood Moon on turn four, and I'm like, sweet... Play my fifth, Sweet. play my neck, play my fifth swamp, or play my second swamp. So I have five not, or I have five basics in play, and your blood moon does absolutely nothing. Congratulations! Because I built my deck to be good against blood moon, <laughs> and I I actually figured this person would would board in blood moon against me. <laughs> I mean, it's like blood moons used in that format or something. I know. Looks, it's almost like Blood Moon is overused in that format or something. Yeah, I bet people build entire decks around it. Yeah, they just might. They just might. <laughs> uh, I wish that deck was still good. I actually had a guy throw some shade against me a couple weeks ago. Um, Did, is it because you threw shade against him? No, actually. 
Um, Didn't you like insult someone recently? I did, but let's not talk about that. We're discussing other okay. things. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm a, Dick. By the way, I'm an asshole for anyone wondering. Actually, I was an asshole last night to someone, and I actually apologize for it because I didn't realize I was being. I didn't. I didn't realize I was being an asshole, but I was. Like okay. I, it literally dawned on me like two minutes later. I'm like, oh god, I'm an asshole. I'm sorry. I'll talk about that after <laughs> a moment. But I was playing a game against okay. someone playing Obson, and I was playing Kiki Evolution. Okay. Um, and they won game one. Game two, mm-hmm. I cast a turn two Blood Moon, okay. and they proceeded to do nothing, and I won the game. And then I won mm-hmm. game three. And then, like later on, I'm talking to another guy about like Blood Moon being in my deck, and the guy who the guy in Obzon who I beat with Blood Moon, he's like, "Are you at least playing Magus of the Moon in your evolution deck?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I don't own any, unfortunately, but I would if I could." And he's like, "Oh." <laughs> So he threw some random he threw some random shade at me for because he thought I built the deck wrong, which I kind of did, but it's because I don't own the cards and I'm not spending sixty dollars on a three mana two two when it's being reprinted in November. Yeah, just saying. So back going back to my I was an asshole last night. I legitimately did feel bad for this one. Well, you apologize, so you must have. Yeah, I I was playing against a guy. Uh, I say guy, but he's he's like you know a teenaged kid playing. It's a guy, whatever. Yeah. He's playing Some person. Just guy control, <laughs> and it's like a super tense. I win game one. It's like a super tense game two because he has multiple. Um, I don't even remember what it's called anymore, but it's a three-mana artifact. Whenever you cast uh, instant or sorcery, you get two energy. You can tap it, spend five energy, and bolt something. Dynabolt Tower. Uh, there we are. I was just going to say it. He has two Dynabolt Towers in play. Oh, snap. I'm at <laughs> six life. Oh, yeah. I'm okay. basically going to be dead soon, right? And, like, like, not only does he have that, he also boarded in another um, approach of the second set against me. <laughs> and he cast one and uh, suddenly my life like i am being pressured on so many levels like i've already mm. like i'm using disallows on the activations of his dynavolt towers to not die right and i'm trying to beat him down with a with a scarab god yep and at one point i'm like he i'm like all right you go to this life total and he's like, did you remember that I gained seven off of um, approach? I'm like, yeah, you went, from, yeah, I'm like, I counted that. You went from this to this. And he's like, but I gained seven on approach. I'm like, yes, but you went from this to this because that's how math works. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I'm like, he's like, okay, whatever. And then, like, I pass to his turn and we're like going and like, and then I'm staring at the, at the, at the life total sheet uh-huh. and I'm like, all right, I'm an idiot and an asshole, and I screwed up on something. Yeah. Um, he was at 32, and I attacked him <laughs> for five. Yep. Instead of putting him going to 27, I put him going to 17. And uh-huh. that's what I I like. I'm not used to going, you know, from 30s into 20s. I'm assuming that's yep. just how my what my brain did. So I'm like, you're actually right. I'm sorry, I was being an asshole. Your life total is this. 
And, like, you know, I actually wound up beating him. Like, I had to use my last disallow on him casting a Gear Hulk to block me or whatever. But I was able to not die. Because, like, it's kind of funny. Like, I'm attacking for lethal and he casts Gear Hulk. And if that Gear Hulk resolves, he casts a spell which gives him enough energy to bolt me so I die. Plus, he's blocking my, my lethal attack, so he's not dying. It's just super brutal for me. But like when it's also done, I'm like when it's done, I'm like, yeah, I'm super sorry. I just I like screwed up on this, and I was just being a huge asshole to you. He's like, it's whatever. It's how math works. So like this teenage kid just throws all the shade at me for being a douchebag, and I'm just like, ah. <laughs> Like I, I just realized yeah, it. I I realized it. I like I screwed up. I you know almost cheated him out of a potential game win, and I felt super bad for it because like you know like like I've always said you know like these new people are literally like the lifeblood of the format, right? If he if he suddenly doesn't want to keep coming to DE because because of something I did, I'm actively like damaging my own enjoyment of the game by not having people to play against. Mm-hmm. So like, I I've, I apologized. I hope he took my apology to heart and not just me, not just assuming that I was just doing that to save face or whatever. Like I legitimately did feel bad for it. So. <laughs> so, so that's what happens when you try to get him. Yep. Um, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> okay. Apologies, right. but. Are, Every, are we good on are, are we good on the getums or do you want to talk about some getums more? That's basically it. Just stop trying to get them, people. Just play legitimately. Like, don't think this card will castrate your opponent and not let them play magic. Just board in cards that are actually good and win your game. Like, I'm pretty sure the percentage points are just higher if you just like do it right. Yeah, like I mean that isn't to say I have no data on that, but whatever. I mean, that isn't to say that, like, something like, um, like, Blood Moon should never be boarded in, because there are matchups where Blood Moon is really good. Like, I actually yeah. boarded in Worship against a, um, uh, Grixis Death Shadow opponent a couple weeks ago, because they cannot deal with the resolved Worship, and they do not have enough removal to kill every one of my creatures. That's just not how it works. Right, mm-hmm. like if I'm not having to if I'm not having to chump lock, which I don't because I have worship in play, they're not going to be able to kill all my random little mana dorks and other BS like that. Like they just don't have enough removal in their deck, so I will win eventually. Like there are times where you should board in things like that, but too many people try and board it in when they shouldn't. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. My, there's a bit of a rant for random shit for the day. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to switch gears for a little or switch gears a little bit here. And I'm going to give my my sideboard thing that drives me crazy. Ooh. That I think is a mistake. Guys, okay. Fletcher does have something to contribute. <laughs> All the work. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh so in limited, the biggest mistake people make with sideboarding is not sideboarding. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times, like, in Sealed a lot of times too, or, or most of the time, but Sealed, even Draft and everything, you'll play a game, it'll be a bad matchup or something like that, and 
it's just like shuffle up present don't even look don't even look at what they have in their sideboard don't even think about it don't even try to do anything like there's just i i, I you're just losing a ton of percentage points by not doing that i mean even even just looking through and swapping a couple creatures sometimes or just swapping a spell or just a few things like that can make a huge difference in a game and I think people are just dropping value on the floor by not by being too lazy to sideboard in in limited, and I think that's what it is. Is they're just too lazy. I I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with the the whole being too lazy thing. I think it's more the fact that they just don't think about it. Like no one thinks about sideboards in limited because they're not like you know like when you it's impossible to not think about sideboarding constructed because you literally have to build your sideboard. As we're in limited, like, you know, people just don't necessarily focus on the fact that, like, you know, they took all these other cards that could be good in certain situations. Like, I do agree that people don't sideboard enough, but I think they I think they don't do it for different reasons. I think I think apathy is a piece of it, because I know I've done it because of apathy a, a number of times. I mean, that, like, that, I'm sure, like, that is a piece of it, but I just, I don't know how common it actually is to be because of apathy. Like, I think it's slightly more common than you think, but probably less common than I think. I like I know from my own personal experience, like there have been times where like I didn't sideboard because I know I literally have nothing. Like usually because the draft just went completely off the rails in my like the whole deck thing and it was just super wonky. And like I've also done it just because I literally forgot the cards I had in my sideboard and I just didn't look. I think there's like so whenever whenever I play limited. I, I I build my deck, sleeve it up, put it there. I take I, I put my off color cards in one spot, and then my on color cards that I'm considering, I I look at them and figure out the cards that I might want to swap in and put those towards like kind of the front of where I'm storing my cards. And in between games, I'll go through and, and peek through all the time just to make sure, like because there's just. And it's, there's just a lot of little things you can do with those to prop up your game. Like just, you know, boarding out a spell for another creature sometimes if, if you're facing a, a, a more aggressive deck like can just save your entire game. You know, swapping a, a, a type of removal spell or something can, can help a lot. Like there's just a lot you can do. And it doesn't even have to be the like really, really, really good sideboard stuff. Like, you know, they have a bomb artifact and you side in, you know, sweet artifact hate or yeah or they have like this bomb flyer and you side and plummet like you know it, it doesn't even have to be something like that there's but there's just a lot of equity you can gain by just just actually taking the time and thinking about it i mean back when i was playing uh, magic online there was multiple times where like you know i'm suddenly boarding in multiple of those one four scarabs because i'm playing yeah. against an aggressive deck and they just can't beat that card yeah like I I do I actually I wind up sideboarding a lot more during pre-releases because it's a lot like you know like it's almost impossible to not have cards to potentially make swaps and changes with in a pre-release just because of the sheer number of cards you get. Yep. It can be harder in draft, but there always comes a point in draft where like I'll start looking at packs and I'll start evaluating if like you know like you know I might see a card like a disenchant or naturalize, and I'll be like, 
well, this is probably better than like you know than this random two two for two that could go in my deck because you know like if I know if I want to board this card in, I know I want to board it in, and I will mm -hmm. actually start picking sideboard cards as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worthwhile do it like looking at that during the draft, like yeah. and thinking about the sideboard, like like if you have the option of hate drafting a card or pick, getting a card for your sideboard, you take the card for your sideboard. Absolutely, that... like. I actually got into a little bit of a argument slash discussion with another friend of mine who's also really big in Unlimited, where we were talking about unclaimed territory, which is uh, okay. land in Ixalan that when it enters the battlefield, you name a creature type and it can tap for a mana of any color, but it, that mana can only be used to cast that creature type. And it can also tap. <laughs> I think it can tap for a colorless. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll check while you're talking. Yeah, but um. And we were on this discussion where he's like, he considers that card to be stone unplayable. And he was saying he would rather hate draft. for colorless. It does, yeah. So he was yep. saying he would rather hate draft um, like a like reasonably powerful common for another deck over taking that card for his own deck. Because, really? Yeah, because his philosophy on it is like, this format is so synergy driven that by reducing the potential power level of your opponent... It is more beneficial than having a land that can that is semi color fixing. So, the the thing though, like this, the the format is so synergy driven with tribes that this card is at least borderline playable. The him and someone else actually, they both disagreed with me on this. Their opinion. I think it's at least borderline playable. I I agree that it's I agree that it's borderline playable. Their philosophy on it is that it doesn't fix. For non-creature spells, and okay. that alone is enough of a detriment to make. Like one of one of the guys, not the main one I'm arguing with, one of the guys who's piping in literally calls unclaimed territory stone unplayable, unless you're specifically playing one of the two three-color tribes and you want to splash a bomb that is off-color, like splashing some random like like say you're playing like blue-red pirates, and you play an unclaimed territory to splash your hostage taker. Like, that was... He was like... Yeah, that seems... That seems wrong to me. Yeah, he said that that's the only situation where he would even want that card in his deck, because it's worse than a basic in almost every situation. And I so, firmly disagree with that sentiment. So... If you're, if you're playing a deck with tribal synergy, like, and, and you're not playing this card in any other deck... No. Like you're not take you're just not taking it, um. Like this card is sometimes a dual land, and I think like is this really the card you're looking for for splashing? Like I mean, yeah, it does that, but it's perfectly serviceable in your main two colors. Like, I and the fact that it doesn't hit non creatures, like that's what percentage of your deck. Like, how many non-creature spells are you running in your deck that you really, really, really need that fixing? Yeah, like, that that's kind of, like, my philosophy. I was like, you know, in most limited decks, like, you're running... You have, like, eight-ish non-creature spells. Yeah, and that's probably on the high end. And, like, in Pirates, you're playing... Like, in Pirates, it can be a little awkward because, like, one of your best red removal spells is, is like, red-red and the colorless. It's so like, sure, that mm -hmm. makes it a little awkward to... You know, quotations splash off of that, which can be unfortunate. But like, one of the best cards in that deck is Pirate's Cutlass. Mm -hmm. Pirate's Cutlass can be cast; it's pure colorless. It doesn't matter. Like, mm -hmm. one of the best cards in the Vampire deck is Pirate's Cutlass, 
like you can cast yeah. it off of a colorless. Like the mana requirements in this format are not so insane on things. Where like having a land that randomly can't, that randomly can't tap for a red for your um, precise strike or whatever it's called is not a big detriment to where like like yeah. I am so against the concept you, of hate. You know what else doesn't tap? You know what else doesn't tap for a red? A swamp. Yeah. Like if you replace this with a basic one, you're in the exact same spot. You're like yeah, like you if you're if you bore if you're playing if you have if your complaint is you can't use it to cast your non creature spells, you can you're only like uh, like depending on your exact like difference, you're like barely around fifty fifty chance that any land you draw can cast that non creature spell anyways. Yeah. Like it's so minuscule that like it's just it just is not worth arguing with the um I'm gonna say arguing opponent B at all because the person just thinks they're always right about everything. Okay. But like the f the fact that you know opponent A in this regard just thought that it was just so like it was stone unplayable and he would rather hate draft, which is so mind boggling to me. Like the whole like, con this card isn't like something I'm wind slamming th like windmill slamming through a table by any means. No. But like the thing is, is that if you hate draft also like so you, you you're taking one card. You're not increasing the power of your deck at all. You're maybe potentially decreasing the deck of one opponent. Which you may or may opponent, not even play against. Which you may or may not even play against. And they may or may not even draw that theoretical card mm. if you let them have it. Like, it, it, I, okay, whatever, like, whatever. The math whatever. is just not there is basically the, my rant. And, like, I feel like every single time I argue with people about math... Their their answer is always well, but this because, like I'm like using literal mathematics to try and argue my point, and no one like they won't accept that because of they don't feel that it's correct. I hate illogic. <laughs> you put up with my shit though. Oh, uh, you're <laughs> you're logical. You're just insane. Okay. But yeah, okay. Well, that put me on tilt, so thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad when I can share my frustration with you. It makes my life better. And I agree. Like, you didn't even have to prompt me on this one. And I'm like, ah, okay. Yeah. All right, well, we probably should um, uh, should think about wrapping this one up. Do you have anything um, uh, anything else before we close up? I, I'm of the opinion that our, that little rant at the end was an adequate enough closer. I've, it I've, was kind of a closer. It, it literally was, so yeah. I think that's good enough. So, all right, we we made it through the whole thing. And you didn't start spewing blood out of an orifice. So, yay! Well, not that you know of. Uh, maybe I just not hit it I better. Well, <laughs> as long as you keep that up. So, if you want to shoot us some feedback, you can uh, send us an email at the local meta at gmail .com. Um, You can also find us on Twitter at the local meta PC. So, all right, that's some. Uh, that's all we got today. Any any last little quips, John? Nope, I'm I'm good. It's it's it was nice doing an actual real episode again. Yeah, it's been it's been a while with vacations and everything, so it's good to to get back in the seat and not just you know actually get into something. But all right, so you can go play Pokemon now, and um, <laughs> everyone else, we will catch you next time. Scarberry. <laughs>